Welcome back to another episode of the podcast we are working on Aves. Uh, today we have a, a new guest, uh, Victor Sanchez. He's uh, another uh, person from Guadalajara where I was born. Uh, I'm happy to share this uh, new episode uh, and promote this uh, with the community. As you know, we, we are trying to share about AEC and technology. How does it work? How can you use it? What is the main keys or what, what are the key factors that, that we think in when, when we use technology for AEC? Because it's, uh, it's still a new topic that is evolving around uh, the countries, around users. Uh, it's changing the, and, and it changes also how you apply them depends on the company or depends on the specific job or task you have in, in, a, in, a, well, in a project. So today we have Victor again that uh, we're going to share ideas about um, automation and operation uh, for, for, for companies and how does they start, how, to, how do you consider you end an operation or an automation? It's a tricky part, a question and I hope uh, you really enjoy this new episode and uh, welcome Victor, how are you? Yes, uh, thanks. Uh, I'm very good, very happy to be here and very happy to be sharing experiences and I'm just having a small talk over topics that sometimes uh, we get overexcited about, but it's difficult to share. So it's always <laughs> good to find platforms to do so. Yeah, well, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. So could you could you share a little bit about uh, how did you start in, 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 in the whole architecture or AC industry? Uh, what did you study, uh, previous works, uh, and what's, what, what is your preference about architecture and construction? Yes, uh, well, I studied my bachelor degree in, in architecture back in Guadalajara at the Tecnológico de Monterrey. I graduated on, uh, around December 2012. And um, while I was still a student, I, I joined several research pro projects projects uh, sponsored by the FONCA, the Mexican National Fine Arts and um, yeah, Funding Department. It, it was uh, during the, the, those last years of the bachelor, an amazing opportunity to start developing things through the through CAD systems and uh, actually it was mostly related to research and so on. After graduating, I joined Diveche Arquitectos, also in Guadalajara. And I worked there for around three years, designing and uh, supervising and building uh, houses and commercial spaces, mostly the exterior part, not the interior part. After okay. that, I joined a company that works mostly in uh, civil in infrastructure. So I lived in the northern part of Mexico for almost two years. After that experience, I just chose to to do something different um, that's when i applied for for my master degree which i ended up doing in the netherlands in 2017 so this is already my fifth year here after after graduating from the master degree you face the the challenge of trying to find a job that is according to, to your degree and that is according also to your skill set in order for you to get a highly skilled migrant visa or something related. So, of course, you, you need to pull out of the bag everything everything that you know. So, I already had quite, quite some experience with beam systems. In, in Mexico, normally what we get is lots of problems, even when you're very young, like you're on your first job, you get 
thousands of assignments and you need to kind of sort them out however you can most of, most of the times so i think that builds up into a to a very broad skill set and a very adaptable knowledge that we can apply to things i was uh, lucky enough to find a position in a company that designs retail what is very interesting about them is that they work for some of the main retailers in the Netherlands and Belgium, one of them being Jumbo Supermarket. They have about 800 supermarkets between both countries. So already it presents a, a challenge already. The, the other thing were automatization and, and um, design or these processes come, come up uh, during these projects. Well, basically, what RBM does, RBM is the name of the company I forgot to mention, <laughs> uh, retail value management, what, what they do is basically turnkey projects. They just tell them where they want uh, a supermarket, for example, and okay. uh, they do everything about it until the point where they just, the client just comes and starts operating there. Yeah. They basically just receive the, the keys of the place and open yeah. it, right? Nice. Yeah, yeah, precisely. It sounds. It, it is like a really nice experience, and uh, I bet it's uh, a really interesting. I think like companies like that are really specific on their on their area of opportunity and the area that they are developed. They have uh, tons of opportunity to actually develop automation and and really nice skills to to set up workflows because they know. They know they are the job, you know, like, a, it's like, a, like, I don't know, I will put like a sample of like a football player, like he, he's going to know if he's a defense or he's a, he's playing on the middle part of the, of the, of the, sorry, I forgot that word for the, well, of, of the court, in the middle of the court, or he's playing on the front, like a, to, to score the goals and everyone has like a, a different role, like in the same job, you know, like in the same game. Uh, so I guess like uh, it, it depends because some companies they offer like uh, beam consulting for like an overall view, you know, but they don't they are not as specific about this uh, kind of retail development as RMM or how this what was the name sorry RMM retail RBM. management RBM yes. sorry uh, and an RBM seems like uh, it's a it's a it's a place where where you actually know your game, know your area. And I guess automation can be developed really nicer. I don't know what's your thought about it. Yes, you know, well, in my experience, uh, and I'm going to refer to the first day that I went there with my very, well, actually very is not even the, the word to describe it. It was a uh, super limited touch. <laughs> so so I just went there and they showed me the the their family library for, for Revit, and it already had around 3,000 components wow. between between fridges and uh, uh, display points and all basically all of the components that go into a store. They are constantly changing. So automate, uh, the, the use of Dynamo to automatize some of these processes with, within, within these sorts of companies, even though people might think that retail has no feel for it. I've discovered that it's quite the opposite because when you use 3,000 components, 
a library of 3,000 components in 800 sorts of every three years going to into a complete remodel and every five years is a complete new construction with new form they they, were, they call them formulas so it's basically the scheme the schema under which they design their stores you end up with lots of areas of opportunity to start in, incorporating new processes for for example if uh, if you're building something new you start playing with the faces of of these components of these families of revit so you can mark them as existing and you can give an origin to them and then you can start also automatizing processes of what's going to happen with them after three years the total weights and this kind of you this kind of elements that add at the end of the day, uh, new layers of, of complexity to a project and that they give not only the companies that design them, but also the clients a bigger, con um, better control over the projects. Okay. And how do you, how, and how do you manage to, to control all this information? Is this, is this like a big team that is doing this um, control of the operation? Because you're talking about like a good amount of elements, like when you're, uh, when you work in in BIP methods and you actually use automation, you you know that uh, these three hundred elements can be actually duplicated in thousands of elements depending on the amount of like the stores. Blah, blah. There's many factors, right? So probably those three hundred elements is just to have like as you're saying, just for a couple of years, and uh, and then you're gonna you're gonna have control of them. You're gonna have like. All these elements, I guess, they have tons of parameters, I guess, uh, and information that is really valuable for, for the company itself and for the client, maybe. Like, uh, can be electricity, can be, uh, I mean, electric, electrical weights uh, or charge loads. Uh, it can be, of course, dimensions. Uh, it can be, I don't know, like codes that you use to actually share with the, with uh, fabricators or with the companies that you get the, the equipment from, right? Yes, uh, so basically the department that generates all of the drawings to build up the stores, it, well, it is composed of about 25 people between okay. the people who do the, the CAD drawings, the people who also go into location, because that's also part of uh, handing in a, a completely a, a store that is com completely built from, from, from scratch or that is just um, handing as a turnkey project. So they have also these people that go with the scanners to location and they generate the the underlay, the constructive underlay with the point clouds and all of these things. So we have all of that part with, of course, their own elements for doors, for systems against fire and yeah, all, all kinds of elements. Um, these, these are the people who, who draw the, the CAD drones, let's say, but the managing of the libraries and so on is made by me and, well, of course, I'm not the main person there. Um, there's the B manager, then I kind of, my role there is basically support him and also support, develop new processes for, for RBM. Okay. And um, there's also another person who normally takes takes into account the, the norms that we get from the clients, the requirements to generate standards. Okay. But mostly it is a, a work of three people. So like that part of the of the 
of the library of components and the templates and everything. So it is quite quite some work. It's a full time job, I must say. Yeah, I think that to go back to your question on how do you manage something so big, I think that uh, yeah, as as I was saying that that I was very surprised when they showed it to me at, at first. Then after that kind of intimidating first glance to it. Uh, you start understanding that they have very strict systems. They divide into chapters the different the different um, areas of the store. So by doing that, then you have a sequential numbering system that provides the families a certain amount of code. So, for example, everything that is zero eight belongs to the bakery. So okay. you can have zero eight dot and then two consecutive um, digits that 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 give you a very quick uh, scope of what, what you're dealing with. Then yeah. the other thing is that even though these components change, normally it is modifications that happen within them and the and the addition of new ones. So basically the, the main library is maintained, but uh, it just gets new things as time progresses. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and that, that's that's really really cool to hear. Like because sometimes people really uh, underestimate the value of having proper codes and investing yeah. time on, on on actually having a, a full structure for a project. And I I know sometimes it's difficult because um, well I have experiences where the the clients they believe they have codes, but uh, when you try to send them into a BIM method. Uh, you realize the codes they don't work. They, there's a lot of confusion between them. The because they kind of well, I don't know how they understand sometimes coding, but sometimes when you translate the information, you know that coding is really important. And when you have control of it, it's not only how how fast you can track the elements or how easy it is to understand once you actually just like you're saying also uh, when you know the structure of your information, then you can control your information properly. And that's super, super important when we talk about automation, because automation, I, I, we know, we all know that uh, it only can happens when you have uh, proper data and proper control of the data for uh, for doing a task. Otherwise, like uh, you are not really automating anything because uh, at some point you just want to go really fast, you know, like and and just three people like controlling right now, like mainly all, all the information there is. Uh, it's quite good. Like, uh, I guess it's the, the the structure must be really good so that people can only like few people can manipulate and have control of this as well. I think that's a good challenge. Definitely, congrats on that. <laughs> Thank you. I completely agree. And just to to go back to what you were mentioning about the nanocodes and their the relation to Dynamo. Nowadays, we have de- developed quite quite some over. 30 scripts that generate information from our models, more or less, I would say. Things that go from uh, transforming our information into information that floor planning can read, which is something that major retailers use to put the assortment automatically of what they want to sell in, in a store. So all of this information wouldn't have been possible without a very clear structure, which in all the reality was uh, already established before <laughs> before I joined RBM, the, the base of it, we we have just kind of 
taking the, the next step, the, the process of really bringing these to a whole new level and that we have done together, but the, the structure and the order and all these things were already there. So, yeah. so, I, so you never stop learning, you know, like you, you see this and you're like, yeah, this makes sense. But of course, when, when you start generating your dynamo graph, and uh, I mean, to the computer, you, you can ask it to do lots of things, but you also need to tell it to tell to it what you want and if you cannot describe these objects with a very clear code for example yeah. the initial name zero eight if i gather everything that belongs to zero eight i can give you the total amount of elements that are there the total consumption of electricity you know like but the computer without inputs it just cannot do anything so it's the base of everything the naming of them yeah yeah, no, it, it it is true, and and I have a question for you. Like, um, yes, how how did you start uh, with Dynamo and, and using this technology? Because I know, like, uh, we are both from Mexico, and we know that uh, I think you and I we know that in Mexico is not like a a really common uh, way to operate, uh, at least on our generation. <laughs> I hope uh, the the new generation is actually learning more about this, but. Uh, Back in the days, uh, most people was not like uh, not using Dynamo, was not using a Beam, or Revit was was seen as a, just like a three D model tool, uh, not related to any type of uh, Beam operation. So, uh, how was your how how was the your your path or how was your beginning with Dynamo and with the automation uh, skills? Yeah, I'll go a little bit back in time also to to kind of uh, exemplify what you were saying. When I was in Mexico, between my first and my second experience as an architect, I had to pay for my Revit lessons, you know, like one of those <laughs> one, one, one week lessons that you just try to grab as much as you can. And then, I mean, you know, but I had to pay for it because there, there was no budget even though like within the companies and so on it's not it's not a common practice for them to constantly help their employees develop and which in all the reality it ends up bringing benefits to the companies but it's something that's always neglected in mexico yeah. in the net in the netherlands is quite the opposite so basically i already had quite a few years of experience in Reddit and in several beam platforms and at some point, um, it was almost two years ago, uh, the company I worked for had this meeting where they established their goals for the upcoming one and then upcoming two years and so on uh, of what they wanted to achieve with innovation. So already, so you already get something that is very important, which is time. And the other thing, once you define it, the time and once you define your goals when you want to start achieving these things the other thing that they give you are the resources to do it so mm -hmm. i already had quite some background in beam not really in dynamo okay um so basically they got an instructor a certified autodesk instructor that gave us uh, some kind of courses of almost one and a half weeks or something divided of course in five or six weeks the, okay. um, and after that the next 
big thing, and which in my opinion is the most important one, is that they also came and told me, like, okay, I, we want you to practice what you learned at least two hours every week, apart from all of these yeah. library like library maintenance and standards and templates and everything, spare two hours per week to develop things. First, just like small experiments, see what you can get out of it. After a few months, we will meet and uh, with this learning that you had, you can propose to us projects. So basically we did that and told them like, yeah, we can improve our processes in this, this and that. So like, yeah, okay, well then let's start, you know? And then apart from that, we also had certain requirements from the clients that also pressure you into doing things. So I, I would say it's that combination of giving the people the tools to develop, but also the time Yes. Or you, you can take as many lessons as you want, but I mean, if you follow tutorials, if you follow lessons, you will end up doing beautiful geometry that has probably no, not an application to your field of action. You know, like yeah. we, we need we need to quantify energy for fridges, not not really create a geodome with panels yeah. and tessellation. <laughs> so that that kind of of necessity of, of finding solutions for, for everyday problems also allows you as a, as a designer or as a scripter to be able to show to, to the company the benefits of it. They, if, if you can automatize a process that we do, for example, the selection of the finishes of all the walls, if you know that it takes normally to a person two and a half hours and with a dynamo script you can do it in 10 minutes then yeah. then then maybe that week that they gave you to develop this kind of system it already paid off you know especially yeah. in the volume of stores that we deal with so yeah it has been really really a wonderful opportunity in that sense no and, and it's really really nice that uh I mean the, that you have the chance to have the well that people invest in you and they give you the opportunity to actually uh, work on this because uh, I get I guess and I believe that sometimes the problem uh, about people uh, being willing to learn this uh, well one is that they don't have the this proper start or like the proper setup to actually go and start playing with uh, tools like this because I guess. Uh, when you say that you have the the instructor, the certified instructor from Autodesk uh, teaching you Dynamo and stuff, like I guess that it, you you and the team really like that part because imagine like uh, starting on Dynamo without like having any sort of guide or direction on how it works. Like, uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a bit tricky, right? Like how do you control all the data? How do you use the list inside Dynamo? How do you uh, play with the with the computational language as well because uh just like you were saying you can you can you can have inputs and, and things but you you have to know how to tell the computer how to use those inputs so it can actually do a, an operation otherwise uh you you don't know how well you may know the language but without inputs you don't have nothing and it's the other way around if you know inputs but you don't know the computational language uh this, it will be difficult that you can actually automate that task. And I think this this is this is really important that um, that people invest and actually understand that there is like a high value in using these type of tools, even if they 
at the beginning you don't really um at the beginning i think it's tricky because you know like we are like a generation that is actually doing a lot of uh changing on how we used to operate uh to how we operate today and how we're gonna operate tomorrow right uh, I see more and more computers being used nowadays, uh, more uh, technology being used nowadays on, on the projects. Uh, in Mexico, we, we have a lot of clients that are like, well, I, BIM didn't work for me. Like, BIM doesn't work. Like, still they say that, but it's because they are doing all the things all the way around, you know? Like, they try to finalize a project in CAT and then they want to send it in BIM. And it, it, when you do that, like, you, your project already has like a lot of like uh, issues uh, instead of being the other way around, you know, you have to start on working on a beam platform to have successful and better, uh, better compre comprehension of the project. It's like, uh, I don't, I, uh, I think there's still like gaps there, like in the, in the industry, but, uh, but in the way that you are putting it, I think like the company understand the value of actually having these operations and having these, uh, these uh, utilities, you know, and and this comes with another question. Like once you have the tools, how, once you know the language, once you uh, had all these uh, uh, opportunities, how how do you define what's what's an automation for AC? How do you define what's the automation you need for for your daily daily work? Like, uh, you see an opportunity and you're like, uh, okay, maybe I can do this faster. Or what's what's the how's the, how does that glimpse happen? <laughs> you know. Yes, I, I I would think that it's it's very interesting also to 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 establish first first of all like this difference that you were trying that you were trying to to mention between cat cat systems and beam itself. I think that uh, if you are trying to force a, a CAD process into, into BIM, to uh, the CAD process into BIM, you also drag into it lots of mistakes. And the situation also with BIM is that once you do a component, if there's a mistake, you're going to repeat, repeat it several times, not only in one project, but in through all, through all of the projects. So it is a different mindset, first of all, that you need to have as an office, as a design studio, you need to start thinking about processes and not projects as a self-standing or self-floating thing. Once you define that part, then I think it comes easier also to have a very clear process that also gives you objectives within it. If you know that the first phase of your project is the sketch part, then you can design tools like Revit components that are dynamic and that are less heavy than a component with all of the functionalities and with all of the subparts and things. And then maybe you can then find this time and this objective of, of converting those dynamic families that you place very fast in the sketch phase into components that are way more accurate for the upcoming next stages. Then again, if you're following part is to create the, the work drawings, the ones for, for construction. There you have several areas where you can start automatizing things and finding, finding new ways to do so. I would say also, and to try to answer your question on how do we define what is worth of trying to make automatic and better and faster. I think it's a combination, faster 
doesn't necessarily mean better. Mm -hmm. So we always take in consideration, of course, that it brings a benefit for us if we can gather more information that is more accurate, even though um, it would be an extra step in the process that maybe it would take you 15 extra minutes and maybe it's something to, I mean, to run the, the script, you know, and maybe it will add in the total hours of the project certain extra time. Like, um, I'm just going to to mention something. We have one um, Dynamo script, basically, that works with, with our drawing. So all of the components within the drawing have a layout where you can see them all in red. And what in any phase of the project, you can run this script um, and it will mark the ones that have the same version that we have in the main um, storage, in the, in the main hard drive, sorry. Mm. You know, because we're constantly changing them. So mm. if now it's version one and next month it's version two, you can, with these running projects, that is always around a hundred projects that, that are running in different phases, that people can check them out. It is an extra 15 minutes maybe per week, but you make sure that your project in the end is going to have a, a better standard of quality and it's going to be closer to the latest changes of everything. Yeah, that, so, sounds, that sounds really nice to be honest. Yeah, and, and because, um, sorry, but like this, this type of process that, that you are mentioning is really important that Automation is, is, is true that it helps you to identify things, not only to, to just uh, create a really nice performance or just to make things faster, but to make like the quality of the project even better. Because when you are dealing with this amount of information, and I, and, and I think this is a, a really common mistake between companies, at least still in Mexico, I, I, I cannot speak from all over the world, but that, that we don't that the quality assurance and quality control operations are always uh, skip. Uh, they are not considered to to be applied into a project. And and Dynamo and like automation tools like uh, yeah like Dynamo like uh, coding systems they help you to actually understand this because uh, just like you are saying you are talking about hundreds of of users <laughs> and going one by one checking them it's impossible yeah. right. <laughs> And, and I, yeah. love, I love I love this about technology. Sorry, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I was picturing like myself, you know, trying to check in a yeah. hundred projects every week, like whether yeah. they have the latest <laughs> one. I mean, I, there's just no time to do so. And you will yeah. make mistakes also. Yeah. And and that's that's one of the big things, you know, like when you design a system and not and not only a project, then it is perfectible also through time. You can add new capabilities to it and extend what you get out of it and what you put into it. So it's always an ongoing process. And that I also like a lot about this process. And and how do you work with your with your teammates? Like, uh, so you have the automation area, but then you have the team, like other people that, I don't know, I'm going to imagine they work in the drawing part or they work in the, uh, on the architecture design or in the engineering part of the project. So they come around and you like do some brainstorming, do ideas, uh, or how do you feel this, this, this interaction is happening and why it's successful? Yes, I think that 
the key of what makes it very successful and it's something that in my professional experience I've never seen before is that we have meetings. We have a, a meeting every month with all of the department that draws everyone. Basically, it's from the director of the drawing department to the person that is just doing their their internship there once per week or so on. And everyone goes there. Every department shows their improvements, their new ways of working. And then uh, what, also, what they also show is the procedures. And that's something very important. We have procedures for everything. We have a procedure even to begin a sketch. We have a procedure to convert the point cloud into a underlay, you know, and it's certain things that as long as we maintain as a standard, then it makes our, our work easier and more uniform. So that's the only way that you can manage with so many stores. If you, if you, if everyone plays by the same rules and these rules are very clear for everyone and everyone gets a procedure. Even for to draw the plafonds, for example, the the things that come over the area where they prepare, where they cut meat or where they uh, bake bread, you know, we have a specific one for every height, and then we tell to the people. Now we improve this family. Now it works with as a railing instead of a component with multiple parts. So you will save time to use it like this. Three minutes ex exposition, and uh, that's enough for 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 the people to, to know what is new and how to use it. The other key and the last key that I would say that, that they do is that they divide the year in quartals. So basically, basically every every month they have new new things coming up and integrating into the process, but the very big releases of new components and so on, they divide them to every every three months. Okay. Yeah, every three, four months they they divide it. So basically, that's when you get like fifty new components, seventy new components, and everyone is uh, due to incorporate them to their projects. Yeah, that's that's really nice actually. Like because that type of and that sort of strategy is completely out of the normal uh, thinking of uh, just doing the scripting uh, and just doing the automation itself in the computational language. I think. That's that's just brilliant because a part of having okay one part is having good scripters and having a good automation uh, team, but another part is to actually be successful is to have an overall uh, view an overall view of, uh, of all the of all the needs in the in the team and all the knowing your team knowing how can you operate with your team, and if you know the requirements of 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 someone else and you can you have the time that also I think that's crucial because. Uh, just like we were saying before we started our, our recording in Mexico, it's like we we need to do it tomorrow. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. And 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 here you have like, uh, I will say like, um, we used to work maybe like you have a gap of time to actually really think about the process to give it like a mindful uh, awareness of how can you solve it or how can you collaborate with the team. And also, I guess that the... The engineers or the drawers, they also know like uh, they they know that they can just uh, easily come with you and ask for things as well. So you have like a proper exchange of of information and mindsets between you, right? Which makes uh, a successful automation. 
Yes, uh, uh, not, not only that part of them feeling comfortable with, with coming and asking questions. It, it is something that is institutionalized in, in many studios and companies related to well, basically everything in the Netherlands. They, they use a very linear structure as a company. There's, of course, hierarchies, but, but they are, you don't need to make an appointment to, to speak to your boss and you don't need to, an appointment to speak to the B manager, you know, and when we work in a process, it, for example, we're going to start making this sketch in a different way. And we're going to also implementing them new dynamo scripts and new families and new whatever. Normally we communicate with them and we, the, the people who are in charge of the planning and structuring the things, they do a very good job in assigning, uh, not the, not the projects are more urgent, but the ones that are farther away. So basically, if you're going to test a new process, you're not going to test it with the project that you need to hand in next week, because then it's basically doomed. You know, it's, it's it's not going to come out well. But if you uh, if you start these processes with projects that are going to be handed in, in one month and a half, which you know there's more than enough time to to do it in the old way, then you have the time of testing it in three, four different projects and the amount of input that we as, as the team that develops all these things get is tremendous because you have four running projects and with people like just telling you like, oh, this is not working, <laughs> this is working, this I would like. And honestly, like once you're programming and making scripts, sometimes you also lose track of these sensibilities, yeah. you know, and, and you can be trying to do something super complex, codes uh, that are trying to solve basically everything. And then someone comes and says like, yeah, but couldn't you just do it like this? You already have everything to do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's actually a very good idea, you know? And uh, that kind of exchange, I think it's also very valuable, or at least for me it is. Yeah, and, and it's true to keep it simple as well. It's, uh, it's, yeah. it's uh, definitely a challenge for, for like uh, us that we are writing code because we think sometimes yeah, everything has to be super complex and super powerful. And sometimes we want to go for, for really big stuff, which depends on how, what's the operation or what's the requirement. But it, it is true, and I, I have faced that like... Uh, Sometimes when I when I build code for people that is just going to uh, run the codes, uh, they just want something simple that they can use and understand, and also have some sort of like freedom on how they use them, how they operate with them. Uh, and probably if I use the code only for myself, like I will try to do like maybe more um, that it will reach more uh, more area or cover more background more ground of what I normally want. But that's because I'm building like a code for myself. And it's way different when you build something for you than when you build something for the whole team to operate and use. And it's really, it's really good that you, that, well, that in the company and in this type of, uh, when you are doing automation, when you are doing operations, you always keep in mind that it's definitely crucial to listen to people, to share with people uh, and understand the the critics because the critics they always help and just like you're saying like uh, why don't you only use this if you already have all these you know <laughs> and it's true that we tend to lose sense of it because uh just like you're saying we we start to get into this mindset of oh i can do this and this and 
sometimes you just want to take too much when you only need like a small step to do it really, really nice uh, and make it work for everyone. So definitely, definitely key for that thing for, for that sure. And to start closing our episode, uh, uh, Victor, how do you how do you start an operation normally uh, with the team, and how do you actually end an operation? Like, uh, when 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 does the team tell you, okay, this we need to do this, let's start it up? Like, how do you find this kind of like a beginning and end of an operation? Yes. Um... How can I describe this part? <laughs> I think about it a little bit. No, but um, I would say that the start normally comes from either a necessity within the, the company or a necessity from the client, something very specific, normally very difficult to solve. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking us to, to do so. Yeah. Um, so it comes from a very big, let's say, not, not problem, but very big thing to solve. And from there, normally what we try to do is to to talk about it first, like between the people who have a more more experience and more more trajectory in these kind of things, to try to come up with ideas of how we could solve this, and then we we basically just start the 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 start, and that's something that I do personally. When, when I start scripting, I normally try to work in the in the um, let's say the backbone of, of the script. You know, I know that I can always adjust things, so I test things with five, six, seven, or ten different elements to have a, a kind of sample of what I'm trying to do because I cannot start programming with trying to drag 3,000 elements, I would just go crazy with with the lacing and the crossing of everything. So I would normally take like a sample group. And once I know that the process works, then I translated it, translate it into a, a bigger thing. And then in the, let's say, in the lifespan of this project, then the, the colleagues start coming up in, in this process, you know, because once you are confident enough that you have tested it, then they will test it. And most likely they will find all of the errors that you didn't find. <laughs> when, you're, when you're modeling something for, for a script, you're very careful with the names, with the position, with the rotation of the elements, you know, and when yeah. they use it, they just play them <laughs> however in a different way. And that's yeah. when you start getting weird rotations, weird origin points, like, uh, and after that yeah. phase, one we kind of try to to tune it and to polish it a little bit once we are confident with it it goes like into the mainstream we start really testing it not not testing it but really using it in the projects and then after that that's not very fixed you know it depends on the on the kind of process but normally after a few weeks we would we would kind of come together and say see what can be done to make it better if it's working, if it's not working. And then, I mean, in terms of when does it end? I think that the beautiful thing about, about scripting and about this kind of research in ongoing projects is that it never really ends. You you can reach a point where it's where, where it becomes part of the process and where it becomes mainstream, but 
from there, you can you still keep finding so many things that they evolve into new things. So they they let's say finish as as a branch, but they that branch be, might become something else later on. So it's an ongoing process. And that's that's amazing. Like uh, I do agree with you totally on that. Like a uh, scripting, scripting and coding is a, a thing that it's evolving all the time, and it's really difficult to just uh, st like one day say, okay, uh, it's done, it's finished forever. You know. Uh, I think that's like uh, something that I also really enjoy about scripting that uh, you always find a new way to play around with it, like a new opportunity or a new method to go around. And uh, and that's something that we we understand because we've been doing this for a while, right? Uh, we, we start playing with it and we see it like that. And um, definitely uh, technology will keep changing, will keep evolving. Uh, new tools are coming constantly a new ways to to do uh, projects uh i don't know like back in the day like they only say like let's do a project uh, and people just ask for like drawings nowadays they ask for models and who knows what they're gonna ask in the future you know probably they will ask only for data or i don't know but <laughs> it's it's just crazy the things that we are are seeing nowadays in a good way like uh it's it's a crazy good uh, and i think we part of reaching and finding more and more um opportunities and more ways of uh, of uh of delivering projects is part of experimenting like this like uh companies and effort like, like people like you victor that is uh, going around and uh, seeing how can we push new methods how can we use new te technology to embrace a project it's what will make us keep evolving on how we deliver things. And uh, I think this is uh, essential for the future of the industry. Yes, completely. And also it, it becomes it becomes a habit. And that, that I think it's very important, you know, because the, the moment you, you think you've reached the level where everything is already solved, then there, there's no, first of all, there's no fun in it. And second of all, you probably are doing something wrong, you know, and that's also very very nice to have like the possibility of facing these big challenges but also from from a position where sometimes you you're really navigating in into unknown waters you know like in the dark also you have no idea like you know the how, how like how you could solve it but most of the times you you only have like this belief that it's going to work out but the how it's a discovery and as long as you enjoy that kind of process then i think it's contagious also you know once you start making things that start working and people get excited about it then it it, it becomes it becomes better and it goes faster also and it's easier to to convince people to jump in to these kind of things nice thanks well thanks a lot for being with us today victor um uh, it's been amazing to listen to your ideas to your thoughts uh, congrats again on all the hard work that you've been developing uh, over there in the Netherlands. Um, uh, I will say that I'm, I'm I'm happy and proud to see another Mexican uh, going around the world and sharing uh, ideas, knowledge, and experiences about uh, computational design. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely something that uh, once, just like you were saying, once you actually start doing it, you become really passionate about it. You start to really enjoy it. 
and uh, and just it becomes some sort of like a, it has some really really big fun in it when you start doing it, and um, and and thanks for thanks for 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 all that, Victor, and uh, for being with us in the episode today. Thanks a lot for the invitation, and of course, I wish you and, and the podcast all the all the best, and I hope that. Of course, it keeps evolving into a dialogue where more people can join. That that is what is going to drive all of these new technologies further into the future. So hopefully, uh, it will happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks, and uh, once again, uh, this is another episode just for for sharing with everyone out there like uh, what's happening in the computational design world. How does it work uh, for everyone to have some sort of idea of how this, this uh, automation actually works in the real life? Um, again, if you want to contact Victor, uh, I will leave the, his uh, LinkedIn uh, uh, link there and you can contact him, reach him. Uh, definitely, he's a uh, seems and he, I'm pretty sure his work is is actually speaking a lot uh, about himself and about his his uh, uh, well in this in this uh, in this field of the industry, which is the technology field of the AEC. Uh, and hopefully, we'll come back soon with another episode of the podcast service. So, thanks to everyone. Mm.